This is Amstigator, a podcast founded on purpose, but focused on the path to get there. Experience is the best teacher, right? And in this season of Amstigator, we're going all in on female perspective of women and wisdom as we answer one specific question. What's the lesson here? You'll hear from my best girlfriends and favorite female collaborators as we share deeply about what we're here to learn and teach as we guide other women to purpose. All right, this is an episode that's real talk with your most aware and most in-tune girlfriend. And we should all have a friend who's arrived to a place where they're fiercely independent and aware of what they need in order to operate as their highest self. And that's why I love Rhea, because she's done the work. Rhea Fry knows herself, and by her knowing herself, she gives you permission to check in with your own body and your own needs, wants, desires, and then just run the plays you need. I met Rhea because she's friends with another podcast guest, and that guest connected us. And immediately we were like, "Mm, yep, mm -hmm. we're friends. We're made for each other, truly. There was just this knowing that we get each other. We understand each other. So in this episode, we cover a lot. We talk about human design initially and then feeling the gut instinct and where we feel that. We also spend time talking a lot about the publishing industry because, oh yeah, by the way, Rhea's written nine books, four nonfiction, five fiction. She's a best-selling author in her own right. Plus, she's gotten book deals to publish three more fiction in the next two years. Plus, she's ghostwritten or co-written 50 books and her company Right Way, which helps people create book proposals, get an agent, get published, has helped get about 100 books published in two years. (sighs) Wow, wow, wow. I mean, she helps people write books as a way to live out purpose. But she's also reached burnout. So we talk about how she's had to learn rest. And I also love that her lesson today is you don't have to prove yourself. Be who you are. Show up in all of your authenticity every single day and don't be who others expect you to be because that will never lead to a deep meaningful life. I think Rhea just really captures feminine wisdom in all things. So we talk about getting out of our heads, dropping into our bodies, talk about sacred female rage. Yeah, that's a thing. Plus, by the end of this episode, we talk through how crucial and important it is to put your phone down, to help you downregulate, even just minimize distractions for a few minutes every day. It's going to make a difference. So I'm excited to introduce you to Rhea Fry with the lesson nothing to prove. I, I do want to start by by making a connection with you, first of all. Um, you and I, upon first meeting, <laughs> we both realized that in our human design type, we we're both manifestors, and which, by the way, I learned, I read recently that we are only 7% of people on this planet. Yeah. Have you read that number? Yes, um, or 9%. I've heard like between, I like 7. Between, 7%. Is, Makes me feel is more but no, like we're, rare and unusual. We are. We're a very rare breed. And I think the most interesting aspect of manifestors is we actually don't need other people to make things happen, which sounds isolating in some ways, but I think it's actually incredibly advantageous. And empowering, right? And so empowering. Like we can, li- we do not need other people to enact our dreams, our yeah. missions. Like it's it's fascinating to yeah, me. Yeah, I love that. So <laughs> if anybody has ever heard of human design or not even heard of it, like it's simple. Go on a website or download the app. It's all free. Find out. You can, yes. All you need to know is your birth date. Uh, time of birth. Time of birth is yes. super, super, super important. important. <laughs> um, even if you have like 
around about ask your mama, ask your grandmama, <laughs> ask somebody. Like, what time was I born? It's actually really important. Um, but yeah, manifestors. This is this when I started reading about my manifestor, my human design type. It started to put to words something I've always felt, but I never had ever verbalized as being like, oh, there are other people like this. Yes. So I want to start by talking about your gut instinct, mm-hmm. you, yourself, Rhea, your gut instinct, and how you've learned to, gosh, work with that, yes. use that, trust that. So let's just start down that road. I love that because a lot of people grow up learning about like, oh, trust your gut and your gut instinct, yeah. but we don't really know what that is. And, or, or even or, how to exercise or, it. Or how to exercise it because – for me, and I think for a lot of women, we live in our minds. Like we're oh, yeah. just always in our minds and always spinning around and around. So when I started diving into human design, I actually learned that I'm splenic authority, which is like getting a gut instinct. But I know in a moment what is right, what is wrong, what I should do, what I shouldn't do. And if I start to think about a decision, <laughs> then I'm not using my gut instinct. Like yeah. I, I've missed the point entirely. So when I start to hem and haw, yeah. like – I know in an instant whether I should work with this person, whether I should go on this trip. So now at 40, I am actually learning to access that and use that because in the past, I think my whole life really, I've been a very like pros and cons person. Like I'll get a feeling about something like, ooh, I really, I really shouldn't do this thing when I got married at 22 years old, which no one should do. <laughs> I I had a panic attack right before I walked down the aisle. And I knew, I knew weeks and weeks before that I shouldn't do this. I should not marry this man. This should not happen. And my body responded so Loudly. violently. Yeah. And my dad was like, we can run away. You don't have to do this. Oh. And I was like, oh, but I have to. Everyone's here. Oh. We've already spent the money. Like I, I talked myself out of it. And I feel as women, we often do that. We yeah. talk ourselves out of things. So now I'm to a place where it is so amazing because I realize I don't have to think mm-hmm. about anything in terms of decisions. I just get the download But I have to be in my body for that. I have to drop Mm. out of my head and into my body. And if I'd had that knowledge when I was 20, 30, even. (laughs) Even if you had the knowledge, like I will pose this question to you. Would you even have listened to it? Because it does take require perspective and life experience yeah. to know to trust it. I mean, again, I wish I wish I had been brave enough yeah. at 22, like taking the marriage thing into account to really listen to myself because I really suffered the consequences because I didn't. And I've had a few really big moments in my life where I knew what I what I felt and what mm-hmm. I should do, and I just went against what I felt. Yeah. So, so I don't ever, I'm trying to teach my daughter that as well. Like really now she's emo, she's an emotional authority. So for her to make a decision, she has to go around and around all of her emotions. Like my husband too. It's they, they both, my husband has four voices inside of him. Oh, so wow. he has to go through this exhausting process. Whereas I'm like, let's go on the road trip. Let's do this thing. Yeah. And they both have to process and oh. feel the emotion. So it's, it's pretty interesting in our yeah, house. You're like, <laughs> Okay. It's funny that you say it that way because like I describe my own husband that way Mm -hmm. where I'm like, I know instantly. And then it's to this point where I'll say to him, well, I know this is what we're going to do. I know you need time. Let me know in four days. Oh, that's brilliant. Like, Let me know in four days how you feel about it. Deadlines. Deadlines. (laughs) Yeah. Or or even if honestly, like, look, we've been married a long time. Even if he's upset with me about something or upset about a situation, he won't even come at me until two days later. And he'll like... 
And I'm like, okay, are now you figured out? Completely. Like, <laughs> because I also, like you, you know, splenic authority, where yep. it's like, I know. I know instantly. Yes. Like, I know instantly if someone is, oh, this person's, they're my people. Oh. Or, or uh, this person Hands off, stay away. And as manifestors, we have a very repellent. We can be very repellent I know. to other. No, that's not a I've bad been told, thing. I've been told it's polarizing. That it's, I am polarized. Same, and that's actually a, a protective thing for us. We are protecting our energy, so we know instantly whether that person is going to be in our little orbit or is yeah. not. And I, I think it's the thing I love about human design. And again, I know this podcast is not about that, but <laughs> we can learn to use our traits and characteristics as assets and not flaws. And I think mm -hmm. that is where it comes in handy the most because I can just lean into yeah. exactly who I am and the way I make decisions and not try to constantly be like someone else or compare myself to that person who surrounds themselves with 50 girlfriends and are going, you know, like <laughs> I, I, I feel different at different times. I need different people at different times. Or sometimes I don't feel like I need much of anyone at all. And I don't have to feel bad about that. It's just the way I am yeah. literally designed. Yeah. And yeah. I, I find, too, that the more we as women step into who we really are yep. and, and unapologetically step into it, the more space we're given to be that you exactly. know, by people around us who love us, you know, who are also in our lives. They go, oh, oh, Rhea knows what she's doing. So there she's just she needs that. Fine. That's what she needs. But we have to, as manifestors, we have to inform people yeah. what we're doing. I've learned Otherwise, they're like, where do they go? What's happening? What's going on? Yeah. And, you know, it's so we need to let people know what we are doing. I know. Yeah. Thanks, Mom. Yeah. I appreciate <laughs> that. I realized that. I Once I learned that, I was like, oh, there's been so many points in my life where I've caught people off guard with things that I'm doing. Yeah. And they freak the F out. Yeah. And I'm like, well. Uh, why are you I, I the the lead up to this has been so clear yeah but I had to remind myself that informing someone is not asking permission a hundred percent that is that is the biggest distinction yeah we don't have to ask permission for anything so let's so. talk about let's talk about your gut like even though <clears throat> there are not many people out there who are like little manifestors like you and I um there are still things that we can teach you and I can yeah. teach people about how to follow that, um, you know, initially still small voice, you know, yes. that, that inkling. Because um, for a lot of people, it doesn't shout. It never shouts. And being a splenic authority, it it's actually more of a whisper, even though it feels so dominant. But it isn't this big, like, shiny thing. We just know. Yeah, and I knowing. think for mm -hmm. a lot of people, I mean, my biggest piece of advice is to get out of your head and drop into how you are actually feeling about a situation or if you're trying to make a decision. Because I, I just think once we get into our head and we start analyzing and going around and around in circles, often it's not even our voices that we're hearing. We're thinking about our partner's voice or yeah. our parents or society. Yeah, or reaction from everyone, right? Exactly, exactly. I'm curious how you think your gut instinct has played into your work. So explain to us yeah. what you do yeah. and how you think that's impacted. Yeah, you. so I am um, a fiction writer. I write both suspense novels and women's fiction, kind of book club fiction, um, and nonfiction as well. But I kind of, as, as I was getting into becoming a writer, like I studied the craft of writing, there's a lot of information about that, but there is nothing about the business of writing, how to be a published author, how to make money at it, and how to be successful. And I love how you laugh when you say you can make money. I mean, because you can make money. It's like this kind of um, stereotypical thing that like, oh, you're a writer. Like it's a hobby. And because we're never taught to take it seriously like a like an actual business. So I developed a side hustle years and years ago where 
I decided I was going to help other writers understand the business side, understand how to get published, understand what that meant to get from having a concept all the way to getting published and then knowing how to advocate for yourself, knowing how to negotiate contracts, knowing how to do all of those things that no one teaches you. So this little side hustle, mainly helping nonfiction authors, just like self-help authors, for example, yeah, self, like self-development, health and wellness, business entrepreneurship. That's a huge um, bucket of content that we work with. But a lot of these people, so nonfiction authors usually aren't authors. They are CEOs, execs, they need a book to legitimize their brand or business. And so that book really serves a purpose. And I've kind of created this book proposal methodology, which is how you even get published. You do not write the book. That's a common misconception with nonfiction. You do not write the book. You create a book proposal. So I started helping clients through that and then editing and ghostwriting and getting them agents and book deals. And it just kind of organically blew up and took off without me having to do much of anything. Yeah, because people are saying, wow, this person really helped me and they might have a girlfriend here or there. Like, yes. well, here, here's the person you need to contact. It, exactly. Yeah. Word of mouth referral only. It's how I grow my business. I'm so old school. I don't love social media and all of those things. <laughs> I so love I, you more for that. Yeah. Actually. I mean, I, I really do. I want to be an author without it. Um, in fact, even though I've been told that I can't be. But um, <laughs> so I, I created a business called Right Way at the top of 2020. W-R-I-T-E. Right. Yeah. Yes, yes, way. Um, and we just help authors learn how to make the right decisions for their careers, empower them to really step into the type of writer that they want to be. Um, and often a lot of people don't even think about their goals, what publication path they want to take, what options that they have. So I'm kind of split in that I work with people one-on-one very closely. It's a very intimate relationship. People call me a book doula because I'm really helping, like, <laughs> yeah, it's birthing. birth the book that's into. A great, that's a great It term is. For it's it. fun. It's fun. And then with my own work, you know, I, I mean, I've put out a book a year since about 2018. Um, mm-hmm. I had four nonfiction books before that. So my world literally is entrenched in, in writing. And when it comes to gut instinct, with my own writing, that's been pretty easy to know when to say yes, when to say no in terms of deals or the editors that I'm working with. But when it comes to clients one-on-one, I have made so many mistakes (laughs) saying yes to someone when I knew they weren't a fit for me. We, we did not mesh. And, but I, I'm going to be totally honest. Like sometimes I made decisions because I need the money Mm -hmm. because I am the breadwinner in our family, because I need to say yes, because we have to make ends meet. And I've gotten to a place where I know instantly within the first five minutes of a call, whether that person is going to be the right fit for me and vice versa. So gut instinct or that spleen authority plays in on a daily basis and it has saved me so much unless I don't listen to it. I still make those mistakes mm-hmm. and then it always ends up being not, exactly being what, you exactly thought what I be. thought it was going to be because yeah. I still, even though I know to listen to that gut instinct, sometimes we just don't because... Oh, I mean, all the time. Right? I feel like all the time we just don't. I, mm-hmm. You know, even... For myself in 2021, I made a commitment to myself. Yes. Like in my personal life, I said, I, you know, leading with my head has only gotten me to this place. And I, I mean, like, cheers to that. (laughs) Where, Mm -hmm. Where it's like, oh, God, this only got me to this place. And guess what? I'm miserable. So if I'm going to commit to doing something different. This is me, like the personal conversation I had with myself. If I'm going to commit to doing something different, I need to be committing right now to being 
in my words, soul-led is how I'd say it. Like, Love that. I've got to be soul-led. So if I'm going to make this choice, what it really was was like starting this podcast, mm-hmm. I was called to start it. Yes. And you know, me starting a podcast is not just like some random person starting a podcast. I'm under a talent contract. Like 100%. I'm under a contract with somebody else. Yes. And so does this refute and fly in the face of what I'm under contract to do? Yes. Yes. So like yes. if I'm called to start a project that makes it look like, holy smokes, like what are you doing? This, I mean, all in my head, my head's like, you are being irresponsible. But I had to commit to being soul led. Yes. And so I said, well, if I'm called to start this project, I'm just going to do it. And so that was the moment where I said, and from now on, yes. I have to be soul led. Or in the same like splenic authority conversation, yep. I have to be led from my gut in all of this. Yes. Or none of this is going to work. Like if I reintroduce my head into this, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to have problems. And I can relate to that so much because my business, when I kind of like developed the side hustle, we actually started off with a podcast. Um, it was called Right Way. We've since changed it to The Real Story. But we were talking about all the things that no one will tell you in the publishing industry and some pretty like damaging insider looks to some of the yeah. things that go on. So as an author, I was like, if my publisher listens to this, <laughs> like, blacklisted? yeah, they're going to literally <laughs> drop me. And I started releasing all these solo episodes yeah. about my own hurts and disappointments and frustrations. And I had authors reaching out of the woodwork to say, thank, thank you, you for being honest and saying what we all feel, but no one will say, which I think really has to change. I mean, without, you know, not to go off on the publishing industry tangent, but like it's like <laughs> music or anything the the industry does not exist without the talent of the right. author right. or the, the musician. You are, you are creating the art. <laughs> Completely. Yeah. And we are the last person to know about anything. We make the least amount of money. Um, so it's, it's really, really important for us to understand the industry that we're even getting into, how it all works, and then, again, to just advocate for yourself. And it, that goes back yeah. to listening to yeah. your gut and not saying yes just because you want something. I wonder how you – I know you're dealing with this with your 10-year-old right now. Like, ah, you're teaching ah, her. Yes. <laughs> but I know you've had to have some inkling of these same conversations with adult women oh. who are enlisting you in a – professional business relationship and you're saying well what do you well how does that feel to you like yeah. do you, I mean like, tell me explain the, how these conversations are happening and how you're getting other women out of their heads and into their bodies on decisions it's really interesting with my business because we are word of mouth referral only I have noticed that as I clean up my own energy and get more certain about what I want, I only now attract women who are on that same path and want to write books like that. Um, So when I have these calls, people usually come to me pretty clear about who they are, what they want to write, but they're also unclear about how the publishing industry works. And what their book's going to mean and what they need it for. And so we really, really get down to what do you actually want, not what society tells you that you need. Like, I want to be a New York Times bestselling author and be on the Today Show. Sure, that's great. But is that what you actually really want? So that's actually the only, like, really deep work we do in the beginning to figure out what that person really wants, not what they've been told that they want. Because it's fleeting. I would almost say, too, it's like psychoanalytics. Okay, little ambition. Sit down ambition. Sit down pride. You know, who's really leading the council here. Let's talk to that woman. Completely. And and more and more people are really taking their own power back and wanting to self-publish. They want the control. They want to be able to dictate what 
work goes out into the world and and what the timeline is and and what they get to say versus a publisher saying no you can't print that it's going to take 2 years to come you know come out in a bookstore so it's it's interesting there's definitely been a, a power shift um mm-hmm. as people become more empowered to put their own work out yeah the self publishing thing is really interesting to me yeah. I, I didn't even know that that was a thing until probably um well yeah last year was the yeah. first time i had heard of it and there was a woman i know and I had said to her, wow, you just wrote this book and it just came out. Like I was always under the impression this could take two years. And she got this sly smile and she yep. said, this was a business expense. Yes. She's like, this is out of my marketing budget. I self-published this. And and I just remember being so blown away, like, well, what a smart woman, you know? Absolutely. And then now, now I see it now, like, oh, this is what, exactly as you were saying, this is how a lot of people legitimize their brand. It's how yes. they legitimize their process. It's, you know, get get a book yes. and the book is what ends up helping you gain the speaking engagements yes. or the like panel positions and you know all of that it's incredible it's it smart is, it is so smart and i mean it often leads to other sources of revenue right. you know i mean everyone thinks i think with fiction writers we put all our eggs in that basket with that novel like hoping it sells a million copies yeah. and but we're not solving problems there's no sense of urgency to go out and buy our book with Nonfiction, it's totally different. I mean, you are solving a problem. Yeah, problem You're serving solution. an audience. And it it can it can, I don't know, just diversify itself in so many different areas of your business. So it's tough for fiction writers to feel that same sense or to approach it like a business, which is what we also work with um, authors on because it's just like, I'm just gonna write this book and put it out and see what happens. And it's harder to make a living that way if you don't have any clear direction. Or know what your goals are. Do you find, I mean, this is, here's, the question is based in purpose, right? So Amstigator yeah. is about purpose, founded yes. on purpose, right? Like that's what this podcast is all about. Finding purpose, the pathway to purpose and all of that. Do you find that you are consistently working with people who are using books to live out purpose? Yes. Yes. When I first started out, the answer to that would have been no. I would get the multiple seven-figure CEO who was like, I need a book. Yeah. Will and you then, write this for me? Will you ghostwrite? I, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I hate writing. I don't know. <laughs> I want to be a thought leader, but I don't have a thought. Like I, It was just wild to me. And I was like, I don't want to work with people who don't want to have a say in what they want to say. I mean, that's yeah. that's the whole point. So I only work with people who actually want to be involved, who feel passionate about what they are putting out into the world. And if it doesn't have a purpose, then it's probably not going to do very well. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that people are disappointed with the product or are they usually happy with what they come out with? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. It depends if they self-publish. When they self-publish, they do have more control over what they are writing, the length of the book, you know, how it's coming out into the world. So usually when people self-publish, they're pretty happy unless... You know, you can't always dictate the paper quality, what the cover looks like when you're self-publishing because you don't have that big team that's handling all the distribution and, you know, really cares about the quality. So I see a lot of disappointment that way. Now, a lot of our clients who have gotten, you know, the big shiny book deals, the six-figure contracts, publishing with the big five, they're happy with the book, but then – they're not really happy with how the process goes. They mm. didn't feel like they were in the loop. They didn't feel like their teams did a lot um, yeah. to really help them push and promote the book. So it it kind of runs the gamut. And that's why a lot of the people who are disappointed, even though I try to tell them, like, 
this is what you need to <laughs> expect. Let's manage expectations. This is what your team is. I mean, I feel like that's what publishing is, is learning to manage expectations and really realizing after my first book, um, my fiction book, uh, Not Her Daughter came out in 2018, I descended into this post-launch blues, like mm -hmm. a real depression, almost like having a baby and how some people yeah. go into postpartum. It was the same thing. Oh, there's um, a creative postpartum for sure. For sure, for sure. So a lot of people can kind of ride that wave too. Um, so it really runs runs all over the place yeah. with how they feel their experiences go. This is fascinating. So like you and I haven't known each other for very long. And I, I because I also have this gut instinct about, yeah. oh, this person's my person. Yes. Um, the first time I met you, I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> is my friend. We're like, I have like this knowing with you that I'm like, I get you. I totally. just get you. Um, I hope the feeling's mutual. Uh, the feeling is totally <laughs> mutual. I would not be here if it was not. <laughs> yeah, I'm like gonna if, like effusive with my praise, and then only to discover, oh wait, but Laura, uh, I'm here because no, you twisted no. my arm. Um, I feel like you have. I mean, not just feel like I know. I know you have a lot to offer. I know you're someone who just you know yourself. You know who you are. You know what you bring, and you're at a point in your life. And I say this as like, you are past 35. I feel like there's something that happens to women. Yes. 35, 36, 37, that life changing. I call it course correction. That's mm -hmm. how I term it. You're past your course correction. Mm -hmm. And I feel like for any person who knows how to get out of their head and into their body, yes. you are aware of what changed in your life. And so those are the type of people I like to have on this podcast mm -hmm. because yes, we're founded in purpose, but season three is all about the lesson. What's yes. the lesson? What's yes. the lesson? Because we, you and I, and then anyone else who listens to this who is like in this age group, we are now old enough to see patterns in our own lives yes. to say, oh, God, like this is the lesson I keep learning mm -hmm. or uh, this is what I'm learning right now. So I, I want to start by asking you, is there a lesson that you've <laughs> consistently like multiple times learned, whether you've learned uh -huh. it yet or not? Yes. Like, Tell me what that is that you've brought awareness to. My biggest lesson is I don't have to do anything to prove anything to anyone in terms of my value. I am never going to be more valuable than I am at this moment. And I don't have to prove myself in the ways of my professional life, my personal life. And I've met my entire life with such force and resistance, a lot of resistance, actually. I always think, like, if it's not hard, and if I'm not killing myself, <laughs> and I'm not hustling, then it's not worth it. Me too. It. Yeah, Me too. <laughs> and, and I hit a point, actually, it was very recent, um, where I hit complete and utter burnout with my business, with client work, with my child, even with my husband. I was like, what? I can't do any of this anymore. Like, I am exhausted to my core. I don't know what I am trying to to consistently work so hard for. And with writing, I also reached that point where I was like, we're all out here. Like, I would just look at Instagram and all the authors, and I'm like, we are all just, like, consistently putting out our highlight reel and look at what I'm doing. And I reached a point, and really during the pandemic, it was such a gift where I just was able to sit still. And I feel like such beautiful lessons come from that stillness oh, when yeah. you get quiet and realize all the noise, all the distraction, all the doing. That's not where I wanted my life to be anymore. I did not want to kill myself and hustle and constantly try to prove myself because I'd proven myself time and time again. But for what? Like to yeah. what end? Who am I? 
who am I doing yeah. this for? It should be you know? for you, like, but who are you doing it for? Who am I doing it for? So I really started to realize that because of all that hustle, I had wrecked my nervous system and my adrenals. I was in constant fight or flight, um, experiencing tons of like heart palpitations and sleepless nights and anxiety and all of these things that I hadn't had before, which I feel like a lot of women are experiencing, but our nervous systems are just, they're just Shot. jacked. I mean, they're, they're so messed up. So I used the last two years really to start digging into that type of work and seeing like, okay, I know what's going on in my head, but like what traumas are stored in my body and how can I release a lot of these old stories and a lot of this old junk and yeah, energy. You just keep blockages. carrying it around, right? You do. And so I, I started this healing journey where t t to date I have worked with pretty much any type of healer and every type of healer. But I recently found someone who focuses specifically on the nervous system where she, she calls it like couples therapy between your organs, which I <laughs> love. Like she gets everything kind of talking to each other and really drops into somatic work, drops yeah, into, yeah. into the body and does so much release work. And it has been life changing. It sounds oh, like so fun, so fun. And a lot of that, you know, we have talked off camera about this, but is in this using your using your voice to activate and to release. And I my my husband's a breathwork coach, so breathwork is so important. And it's really changed my day, just my daily practice and my daily life to be intentional about breathwork. I need a lot of parasympathetic breathwork. I need a lot of like slow breath work. Whereas my husband, who's resting heart rate is like 35. <laughs> um, I'm like, you need to go to a doctor immediately. Like you're dying. You're, dying. You're, you're dead. You're not here. He needs a lot of like upregulation because yes. he's very, he's, he's not, he's a non-energy being actually as a, as, as a projector in human design. So he needs a lot of yeah, energy. Bring whereas back up. Yeah. I need to be brought back down. And so through my, you know, two, three year journey of breath work, I have really realized that like in the morning, like shaking my body, mm -hmm. using my voice and activating just releases. Yeah, okay. So when you say yeah. using your voice, yep. like we in our society say using your voice, like, oh, just you advocate for yourself, oh. but that's not how you're saying it. Like explain to me how you're saying use your voice. Yes. So I am so passionate about this. So um, there's a specific kind of breath work called Awaken Breath Practice. It's O-W-A-K-E-N. And it's these two people from New Zealand who kind of came up with this practice where it includes meditation, nasal breathing. Sometimes they do mouth breathing, journaling, and lots of movement. So when you tremor and shake, like yeah. if you were going to bounce on your toes and just shake your arms and legs, that is such a great way to get the energy You're kind of shaking it out like in the way you that you see a runner or a sprinter exactly. start shaking out their hands. But doing it for like more than 30 seconds like really doing it like put a song on and do it but then when you inhale like if you inhale through your nose and you open your mouth and you just let whatever, whatever sounds sound. come out um and i do that consistently but when i met this woman this healer named elizabeth devon she is all about primal screaming oh, and she's a screamer oh my god so I, I have a 10-year-old who <laughs> has screamed a lot in her little <laughs> life. And if you look at toddlers, they 
I mean, they are actually expressing emotion the way we are intended to. So um, an entire emotion lasts 120 seconds. The whole purpose is to get it up and out. So if you see a toddler who's having a tantrum, they scream, they yell, they move their bodies, they're pounding their fists, they get it up and out. And then at the end of that 120 seconds, it's gone. Like they move on to the next thing and the tantrum is over and we move on. As adults, we are supposed to do the same <laughs> thing. And we don't. And we, we suppress don't. everything. We suppress everything. And I am someone who, ever since I was born, really, my mom just has always said, you're just born angry. Like, <laughs> just with rage. And I used to, when I was like 10 years old, when I was my daughter's age, for no reason, I would go outside and shake my body and start cursing. Like, I would just Like you have say, Tourette's as a 10-year-old? Yeah, like, exa- exactly. I mean, I would just like feel this rage come up and just let it out with no reason. Well, And in our human design type, it tells us both that anger is us when we are not aligned. So our unaligned self is anger. And I spent so much of my life just angry, angry, angry. And I would have releases and get things out. But because I was labeled that, I thought anger was bad. I thought, oh, if I get angry, I'm not safe to express myself yeah. because I, you, I'm dramatic. You're angry. When in fact, rage and anger is so sacredly feminine and it is such an asset and a tool. And we don't look at it that way at all. Women don't know how to access their rage and anger in a really like safe, positive way. Yeah. So this woman, before I started doing one-on-ones with her, she was having this event called The Roar. And I was like, sign me up. I don't even know what we're doing. But (laughs) yes, that sounds great. And it was one of the most incredible things I've done. So it was only about 20 women in this building um, out in Nashville called the Historic Mason James, which used to be like an old masonry and filled with like these holy men. And now it's just a container for women, which I love. So like (laughs) women are just doing all these different events there. But she really guided us and kind of talked through, like, how rage is sacredly feminine. Yeah, this is normal. This is natural. A hundred percent. And we just, we do not release. So she really built upon, it was a 75-minute workshop, essentially, where we almost were screaming and moving our bodies for that period of time. Now, that doesn't sound insane, but, like, think about it. If you scream, if you're angry, it's, what, (laughs) 10 seconds and it's over? So having permission... To just keep to, going? To, like, she started out, it was about three minutes of just us moving our bodies and screaming. And what happened in that room, like, I, I was there with a couple of friends, and one of them, everybody had quieted down, and she let out this wail that sounded like her child had been murdered. It was anguish like I've never wow. heard. And everybody in the room just responded to her. Oh, and it was, I'm getting chills I, thinking I about it. It was like, it was unbelievable and so then I mean we were moving our bodies we were dancing and so the the teacher Elizabeth was saying you know she does a version of what we did every single morning with a specific type of breath work was shaking her body and just screaming whether it's into a pillow or whatever because we need to release what is stored and what I'm hearing is when I when I hear that I automatically think you know obviously our society says that kind of emotion nope no, nope. we're supposed Which to control the emotion, fit, in the, fit nope. in the box. And on top of that, what do women use as coping mechanisms instead? Oh, wine. Wine. <laughs> right? Like it's like it's a it's accepted, <laughs> yes. right? It's acceptable yes. in our society to just sort of like drink away the problem yep. 
or, you know, binge away the problem yes. in terms of like Netflix or alcohol or food or whatever, or just complain, complaining, commiserating. Oh, complain. I'm like a pro in complaining. <laughs> I mean, and, and that's the thing. We just, anything traumatic or, or too much, we just put them in these little boxes yeah. and we don't touch them. We will do anything to not sit and feel our feelings. So getting quiet and really drop, again, getting out of your mind and dropping into your body. And that doesn't look like, you know, sitting still. And in fact, like meditation, I love meditation. But for me, sitting still, like getting quiet is one thing, but sitting still isn't as powerful to me is actually yeah. like moving and releasing. I need to release. I am a walking meditator. Oh, like I that's love, my favorite thing. You just walk and meditate. Walk. walk meditate. It, that's, that's my absolute favorite thing to do too. So I think it's really important to even get in touch with yourself enough to know, do I need to release stuff? Do I need to sit still? Do I need to move? What What is even in here that yeah. I haven't accessed? Because we don't. Our phones that we carry around, they have messed up our dopamine yeah. So much that it I mean, our we're just we're just messed well, up. It's not just the it's not just the phones. Like I have a whole thing. I've got a war on caffeine. Like people oh, this yeah. is another thing where like and I look, I'm not I'm not coming for you if you love your Starbucks. I'm not coming for you. I'm just telling you, like in my own personal yeah. experience, in my own body, I too have adrenals that have been oh. shot since I remember having a blood test at twenty four yes. and being told at twenty four. Your adrenals are shot. Mine are like the size of little raisins. <laughs> they're just like, they're shriveled and dead. And caffeine, yeah. Caffeine it, really irritates it, it. It's like putting Worse. you into fight or flight. I mean, I yeah. I do love, I have my one cup of coffee, coffee in the morning. It's my one vice. But it it's so true. And we are yeah. operating from that sense of depletion on a daily basis. We do not re replenish and nourish and sit still and feel and release. Yeah. And it is the most important thing more than posting stuff on Instagram or, you know, building your brand or whatever. Like if you don't take care of this yeah. vessel and your own energy, I've become highly protective of my energy as well. Yeah. I feel um, like there's so many influencers right now. And I say this because, yeah, we are a culture that's on Instagram. Sure. I feel like there's so many uh, influencers who are like right there, 40, 41, 42, 43, who are like well-known entrepreneurs, influencers on social yeah. And all of them, I feel like, are saying the exact same thing. Like, I have to take a month off. I have to do this. I have to do that. Like, here's how I rest. Here's how I take care of myself. And it, it's to the to the point where it almost feels like this is the cool new thing now to talk about self-care. And, I mean, I don't even like that that term. It's just what the way that we have constructed our lives, the amount of information we take in in one day is more than our ancestors had in an entire lifetime. Yeah. In, one in one day. day. Yeah. And it's the way we work, too. I'm, I'm a huge advocate of working in cycles. So I took the summer off for the first time in my entire life. Did that kill you leading up to it? Or like, how did you prepare? No, I, well, I hit burnout. And I was like, yeah. I have to do this for my mental health, which sucks that we shouldn't have to almost yeah. like kill, like just be catatonic before we take yeah. a break. So I took the summer off and I also, and so passionate about taking winters off, like at least the month of December, we are not supposed to work year round, like right. we're never <laughs> replenishing, I'm never. I mean, we're just not, and we're also not supposed to take in a million pieces of information every day because when we do that, we can't even process how we feel, what we want, what we need. I mean, my husband is 41 years old and as men. So going through this screaming thing, I'm like, where is this for men? Men yeah. need this like more than anyone. Um, 
But in his life, he has maybe sat down to think about what he actually wants a couple of times because he's there. Men specifically are not taught to really access like, how am I feeling about this? What do yeah. what do I need right now? And if we don't start getting back to that, I mean, we're just little robots like right. absorbing information and going about our days. And uh, so unfortunately, <laughs> if you want to take care of yourself, true self-care you have to set massive boundaries and protect your energy and say no to a lot of things. And it's been semi-hard to do that, but it's it's been a game changer, a complete game changer. I do not do anything that I don't want to do. Okay. Period. So what's what's the lesson in all of this then? That lesson that you keep learning then? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it all comes back to what we were talking about in the beginning is really listening mm-hmm. to what I need, not what my daughter needs, not what my husband needs, not what you need, not what my friend, not what you're told to need. No, but just what I need in this moment. And it's going to look different every single day. It's, I'm not ever going to get to this like entirely peaceful place and journey. It's just (laughs) learning to be resilient day by day and, and to really, man, just to really sit still at some point every day, not consuming, but just Processing. Processing is one of the most important things that we can do, and we just don't do it anymore. Yeah. Here's a great example of how you can do this, because I'm sure there's people listening, and they go, I can't take time to do that. Sure. Um, let me tell you, B, you can. Uh, if so you're five hours on your phone every day, yeah, you can. You. Yeah, that's Oh, God. Exactly don't even get me started say. on the phone. <laughs> like That's exactly what I was going to say. You're standing there waiting for your Starbucks. Why are you on your phone? You're standing there waiting for your prescription. I, why are you on your phone? If you spent five hours a day, like studying a language, oh, God. A, a, writing your book. Listening like, to a podcast? D- exactly. Yes, listening to this <laughs> podcast. I mean, it's it's so true. Like, we don't even know. I'm a, I'm a huge stickler. Like, if I go anywhere, if I'm in a waiting room or an elevator, I do not have my phone. Yeah. I rarely bring my phone out. I don't bring it to dinner. And I just sit there and I watch people because oh we gosh. used to have conversations. Thank and you. It, I'm, I'm so old school. I want a flip phone. I <laughs> don't want so, social media. One of my favorite writers, his name is Cal Newport, and he is a New York Times bestselling author. He doesn't even have an email. His new book is called A World Without Email. Um, <laughs> he Because you never get to the deep work when you are constantly, constantly distracted. Constantly, Const- I mean, yeah. our attention span... There was a recent report. It's eight seconds. Eight seconds before. I'm sorry. There are like fish who have longer attention spans than us. It's <laughs> it's a problem. And we're all just buying into, yeah. well, this is just the way that it is. Yeah. And this is, you know. I, I have to tell you that everything about this podcast is pushing back to that. And let me tell you, mm-hmm. oh, pushing pushing against yeah. that. And here's why. Totally. So I, I mean, I'm a news anchor. Mm-hmm. So I have been listening to these kinds of uh, things popping up in sure. research since I got in. I mean, I've been listening to research projects since yep. I was 21. So that was 2006 is when I got into television. Yeah. And so we get these yearly research projects that are about, I mean, every place I've worked has been this. So like, even though I've worked in different stations, the research is always the same. Yeah. It's that people have short attention spans. It's also, you're going to speak to them at a fifth grade reading level. That's number two. <laughs> like truly, I'm not kidding. Uh. And then also you are going to write stories the way you speak. So hmm. I have become a master at yeah. short declarative sentences, writing the way we speak, um, so that when I read what is written, because it's yes, all it's all a teleprompter, 
what I'm saying sounds like I'm just having a conversation with you because now I'm so used to expressing mm-hmm. myself that way and writing that way that it comes out that way. So literally, eight seconds, yep. uh, fifth grade reading level, write how you speak, short declarative sentences, yep. you know, like all of that. And so this podcast became a way for me to push against that because Absolutely. a year ago, year and a half ago, I was like, I am done mm-hmm. with the lack of of depth. Depth is I'm ugh. done with yes. the surface. I can't do I'm surface. Done, like, I cannot do surface. <laughs> I can't. And and newscasts are the epitome of surface. They yes. truly are the yes. epitome of surface because it's just black and white. It's just the facts. There's nothing gray. Yep. And and I'm not I'm just not comfortable with it anymore. Yep. Yet like uh, yes, I'm still employed as a news anchor. I I'm good at it. Yes. And I enjoy doing that. That's fine. There's a place for all that. There is also a place for this. Yes. There is also, I believe, a lack of in-depth conversations with women, for women, by women about things that we actually deal with that are like, let's real talk. Like, I'm not happy. You're not happy. How are we dealing with it? You know, like, you know what I'm saying? Those are the only conversations I want to have. Same. When I hit, it was literally like when I hit 40 and over the past two years, this happened to a lot of people, but just really examining every relationship and friendship that you have and kind of weeding out some that might no longer serve you. And my husband and I were like, I just don't want to have shallow. I don't care what you're watching on TV. I don't want to. I mean, just going deep. And because we've kind of declared that every single relationship that we have feels like it, it is nourishing on that soul level, which is amazing. But that does take some intention. Well, and awareness. It takes awareness. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it does come back too to like exactly what we've been talking about of like, Hey, your body is sending you signals all yes. the time. Like, you know oh, the answer to a question. Completely. You know if someone's right for you or not. Like, even if someone's who's listening, even if you're not a manifester, you still have the same intuition. Everyone yes. does. It's yes. like you cannot fail if you just listen to it. But so often we're taught not to listen to it. So, Which you know. is, is so, I mean, it's really the only thing that we should be honing is like learning to trust ourselves, to listen mm-hmm. to ourselves. But then we get, caught in up in our head. head and like, oh, well, I can't quit my job to go pursue this dream. I can't do this to, we we start mm-hmm. thinking about this little bubble that we have created. And I, I've always been, I've always gone against the grain in terms of living a traditional life and wanting the same things as everyone Shaving else. part of your head. Yeah. I, well, I actually did this. My, um, one of my best friends is going through cancer, leukemia, and I had to shave her head. So it started with just well, like a tiny little. Super cool. Like, it I goes it. all the way around now. I wanted to do like the whole thing. I love um, it when you were, I'm actually shocked today that you didn't wear your hair. I know. In a top I wear my hair your, in a bun with your huge literally. earrings. Literally, well, I was like, our earrings. My earrings are like wind chimes. They just make so much noise. <laughs> so I was like, I'm not wearing earrings today. But I usually am always with earrings. Yes, like and well, big expressive inner earrings, which yes, I really appreciate. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, I I just think it's interesting though that how like we do we do dim ourselves. Yes, that's the thing I keep thinking about lately. Like that's been on my mind a lot. Like how often are we dimming all of us? Uh, especially women, like how often are we dimming ourselves, you know, and not being who and what and all all the things we're supposed to be? But my question to that, and I, I really struggle with this sometimes, because to really be seen and to show yourself and to show up in all your light today, if you don't have an audience, a lot of us don't feel that it's even worthwhile. And that's where, because like, again, I don't feel at this point in my life that I have to go out and prove 
myself and like what I have to offer. So it gets really tricky because I think a lot of women, again, not to go back to social media, but we'll look at all of the people who, you know, are living their best lives and showing up and being seen. And then we're like, well, I don't know if I can do that. And, you know, I'm someone who's always been behind the scenes. I am in a supportive role for other people. As an author, I still haven't reached the pinnacle of where I want to be. And I think I've done You're saying all, as a fiction author. As you a haven't. fiction author. Okay. And I think one of my biggest fears, I know one of my biggest fears has always been being truly seen as I am. Because I'm not a typical female. I don't go get my nails done. I do not like makeup. I will not wear heels. Like I made that decision too over the past two years. I'm like, I don't like them. They don't feel good to me. I'm not doing it. I had knee <laughs> surgery forever ago. Like it's not good for my body. So I'm really, really, really listening to myself. But in, in terms of dimming, I'm like, gosh, what is what is not caring about what society thinks? And then what is dimming yourself Mm. like what's the difference there because again I think the audience having an audience really kind of dictates how you show up in the world you know this is fascinating I want to dig into this because I'm not sure I'm completely understanding you so you're saying if I that I'm stuck on the audience yeah yeah so you're saying if I don't have like let's just say I'm a regular Joe or regular Jill and I have 500 followers on social media and they're just my friends and family. Sure. Are you saying that that's not an audience enough to live out oh, no. who I am? No, I'm saying the opposite. Like I feel like we don't live out who we are if we feel like we don't have a big enough audience oh, but to if show there's, up. If there's more people who are watching, it's like, wait a minute, I need to be accountable? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, or or just like that. You, if you have a bigger audience that you're somehow more valuable than someone who could show up as their most authentic self, but maybe there aren't that many people watching. Maybe they're not putting themselves out there the same way someone who has, you know, 500,000 followers or is on TV or, or whatever. And I think, again, it goes back to like, you do not have to prove yourself, be yeah. who you are, be, yeah. show up in all of your authenticity. Every, I mean, I, I think that word gets played out, but like in your home life, if you can't be your biggest, boldest, brightest your self, genuine like self, right? in your pajamas, drinking coffee at nine o'clock in the morning, as you are maybe in your job or whatever it is, like that's the lesson I think yeah. is just to show up as you are, not as other people expect you to be or comparing yeah. yourself in I, any way. I, it's so interesting you bring that, that up because that actually was a lesson I had to learn. Um, actually, that that was a big lesson last year. And I would, I would term it, the way I called it was a uh, unifying the polarities. Yes. My husband yeah. for years had said to me, he's like, I got to talk with my hands to do this. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> who you are on television mm-hmm. and who you are at home are two different people. And he's like, I, I just wish people could see you, you mm-hmm. the way I see you. But you won't. He said this to me. He said, you will not show that to people. And so that was kind of like all this stuff I was dealing with a lot last year. It was my own course correction, you know, 36 years old. And I realized I, my work in the year was to unify the polarities. Yes. So little by little, I began showing up as the real Lauren instead of there being television Lauren and home Lauren yes and that you know that's like there was this and never the two shall meet you know like that's who I was oh, that's because so interesting. I, and well here's why I thought I would not be accepted yes. as real Lauren because mm-hmm. in my mind I'd only been hired mm-hmm. um 
rehired, promoted, you know, all of, you know, going through my career, I thought I would only be okay if I maintained that expectation. Yeah. But I had to, I had to just break myself of it. And little by little, I started to show up truly to work every day as, well, what, what do I really want? Yes. You know, not what do my bosses want or not what do my coworkers think I'm going to be like, I need to be real Lauren today. And then little by little, I'd put a little bit more of my true self into my anchoring. So like, who am I showing up on TV as? Because that was a whole nother level too. Not just who am I showing up to this building as, but who am I going on to television as? And Mm -hmm. so even though we all might see someone who has a huge social following and say, well, they've got it figured out and, you know, yeah, they can be themselves because in your words, they have an audience. Sure. I, I I would almost counter with, it takes great courage yes. to be who you truly are. And that's all we need to be doing. I mean, that's the thing. I feel like there's so much pressure. And you have a, a very unique situation because you you are presenting. And it's like I could never show up and be like well, a news anchor and I'm with employed. a shaved head. And <laughs> Crazy job. I mean, it wouldn't happen. But I'm employed right? as I'm an employee of another company, so yeah. I'm also a representation of their brand, sure. right? So I don't get to be Lauren Lowry brand, you right. know? Right. So there's part that's part of it too is how do I be myself but still be a representative of someone else? Completely. And I think a lot of people can really relate to that. They might not be on TV, but maybe they have to show up in their corporate job a certain yeah. way. Or and I just reached a point where I'm like, I've set my life up where. I I run the show and yeah. I answer. You are literally to, the boss. Yes, I'm the boss. So like, why am I going to pretend to be anyone other than who I am? And my whole life, I mean, I've really attached my value to accomplishment and accolades and, yeah. you know, like being praised, even though I wouldn't really like feel that praise, I would just kind of brush it off. So I've just done a lot of work and in a lot of inner child work and reparenting and and all of that. And it just feels so good to just be comfortable in your own skin and not, you know, even if I put like, again, I'm not a makeup person. And my my daughter is always like, we went out to a show last night and I was in like a jumpsuit, bare face, and she really wanted to go. And it was eight o'clock and I was like, I don't want to go across town. And I was like, I got to go put, you know, makeup on. She was like, no, do not put makeup on. Oh, I love You do not need makeup. So I didn't. And we just threw on some glasses, put my hair up. We went out and it was great. And just, just, I don't know, like stepping into this is who I am. This is how I feel. This is how I want to show up in the world and not worrying about anything else. There's so much power in that. And that's why I'm saying, like I said this earlier and, and I think it applies again, but I think it applies here too, is that. When each of us chooses to show up as our real self, we also give other people permission, permission mm-hmm. to do it. Plus, I think it's almost like it feels safer to others because then they say, oh, like I see who this person is now. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, this is who this person is. So then they also give you permission. Like they give the permission back to you of like, Yes, you can. It's an affirming practice, I think, when but, we step into who we are. But one of my my biggest pet peeves about the way we live our not- lives now is we're so voyeuristic, which has always <laughs> been my issue with anything with, with, with social like media. Social, I'm like, yeah. am I going to spend 10 minutes of my precious, my one wild and precious life watching someone like on a sailboat or going to the grocery store? Or am I going to like s- spend time 
journaling or with my child or whatever it is. And I think that's the thing. We do look constantly for permission instead of realizing like, hey, you were the only only one one. Mm -hmm. who can give yourself permission and stop paying attention to what everyone else is doing and figure out what you actually want to be doing. We do not spend enough time doing that. And it's the answer to everything, literally everything. We have no idea how to do it. So let's you and I create right now in our minds What's like the list of how to do that? Like my step number one would be put your put, phone away. Put your phone <laughs> down. Exactly. I, Someone put your phone down. Look around. Oh, look at that. There's a nice looking person who just walked in. Oh, oh, and look at that person. That person looks like they don't feel well. Oh, look. I mean, j- and just observe. We be never observe. an observer. Present moment. Yes. Put your phone down. I mean, the first time my husband and I did this, like, we're not religious, but we did the Sabbath um, ritual. So for yeah. 48 hours, we put our phones away. We turned them off and put them, like, in a drawer. And what happened, it was the most eye-opening thing with the quality time, actually listening in a conversation. Because if you have your phone, they studies have shown, if you have your phone anywhere near you, you actually are not paying attention. You're, you're yes. not engaged. You're just, it's this, it's a slot machine in our pocket. It is the most addictive thing in our lives. What other thing are you going to reach for 400 times a day? Like, it's... You, nothing. You it's would never shocking. reach for a drug or alcohol or anything that but, but many it's, times. But it's like permissible in our culture. Of so course we it do is. It. Of course it is. But when you don't have the option, when I didn't have the option for that phone, my daughter and I went on a hike and I drove without plugging in my phone, putting on ways, and had to actually pay attention and memorize street names and where I was going. I had done that drive so many times, but I actually took a couple of wrong turns because I do not pay attention because I don't have to think about it. Like if we're trying to, my, so my daughter and I were walking, we're talking and it was so engaged and she would ask a question to something. And normally now in our culture too, it's like, you don't have to think yeah. about anything. Just, just ask your look. phone. I'm going to ask Google what it is. So I realized <laughs> that it just gave me permission to think yeah. again, to be a thinking, feeling human being. And we have done that in our household lately because we reached a point with my daughter where she has an iPod. And she listens to podcasts literally as all the a 10-year-old. time. As a 10-year-old. Wow in the world. So she she will come in and like spout facts. But she does it when she's so when she's bored, she will consume. So she will listen to a podcast, want to watch something, play her switch, or eat, actually. So we we just kept noticing like how she would just consume and get so angry if she didn't have that thing and she wasn't consuming. So we've recently just kind of stopped all of that, put more boundaries around it, but for ourselves too. Yeah, we have to model that behavior. You do. And like, I mean, at 40, I'm, sometimes I want at the end of the day to just watch something stupid on TV and not go be super engaged with my child. You You know what I mean? So there is a balance, but she has been like a different child just with those few boundaries. Like the time that we get to spend together, she's sleeping better, like interacting better. And we, we all do like, we've never brought our phones into our room. We don't bring any electronic. We have no electronics in our bedroom. We're super woo-woo. We have like the lights and the crystals and, you know, all of the thing to really down regulate our systems. When you were putting that artificial light and I mean, our, our circadian rhythms are so messed up. Our melatonin is so messed up and none of, no one thinks that this is a really big deal, but some people do, but our children's hormones, like if you have children, it's serious. I mean, it really does matter. So putting, I think the number one thing is to put your phone away and to see notice right how Just you feel notice yeah. what changes notice completely. what's different and 
most people I know who've done this and put their phones away, they actually didn't freak out. They didn't think about social media. They didn't think about email. They weren't thinking about like, oh God, who's texting me? What am I missing? It was just this immense relief that they felt, you know, Um, which is so, so important. What do you think would be the next step to then like get it? I mean, I think, yeah, putting, putting it away and taking time, you know, you might not be a journaler, you might not want to meditate, but just figure out how you're actually feeling in the moment, like drop into your body, body and get yeah. out of your mind. What am I noticing? Where do I feel that? You yep. know, yeah, it's so interesting. So few people actually know how to do that. I um, I was even walking yesterday and I. it's funny because I don't often activate my heart space. Yes. I'm someone yep. who is, Same. I always yep. feel, I always feel everything is in my gut. Yep. Everything is in that, like, I mean, I would just call it the third chakra. I don't yep. know what else to call it the, in the, the splenic authority, I guess. Yep. But like, I feel everything there. Well, yesterday I was walking and I was so full of joy. Oh, that's and the best. Like, that's vi- very like, I open heart. Yeah. Truly, the word that kept coming to my mind was victorious. And here's why. Because I feel like I've, I'm finally getting better because I had a terrible yeah. August where I was hospitalized multiple times. Ugh. And like, it was a terrible time. But it was an enlightening time and a life-changing time. And so to get to this point where I feel victorious, where I'm like, I'm like I have beaten this physical issue. Yes. I've also overcome myself. I feel victorious. And my heart, I'm telling you, I could feel like this beam of light shooting oh, out of amazing. my heart space. Into, I was in the trees. It's just like something I do. I love yes. to go hike. And I'll tell yes. my husband before I go, I need to be in the trees. Like, yes. It's just something that calls to me. I have to be out in nature. And so to feel that, to feel my heart so activated, which it never gets <gasps> activated in that way, the best. was like, holy crap. Yes. But to feel, that's, I guess my point is, you have to feel where you feel things. Like, where are you feeling yes. it? Are you feeling it in your shoulders? Are you feeling it in your neck? Are you feeling it in your stomach? Are you feeling it? I mean, like, where? Where are you feeling things? Sometimes people feel things all through their legs because they're not feeling very grounded. Completely. You know, our bodies speak to us. We have to get back uh, into them. We have to. And I think, you know, finding – if you are – open to a healing journey in some capacity, finding that modality that really resonates with you. So for me, it's definitely breathing and voice activation, but the sa- energy work too. Yes. And, super but sound healing, favorite thing on earth. Like the way I can get when um, I go do a sound healing, which, you know, people do with crystal bowls and, and you can definitely listen to some sound healing on Spotify or whatever. I don't think it activates the same way, but it's like every cell in my body is just like moving and buzzing and vibrating and it's I haven't found much that that activates me on that level so finding things that just make you feel good like at the end of the night and yes this goes into the self-care bucket but I do an Epsom salt bath every single night and read in it it's also very good for detoxing all the energy like negative energy that you might have picked up along the way because we do whether you are we take it in woo woo or not like you absorb energy all day long. Oh, I mean, and think about like when you're around someone who they're in a bad mood oh, and after you're worst. with them, then you're in a bad mood. It's like bring worst. awareness to that. You just absorbed their energy. You did. And we live in a household. So my husband actually, he does not do well with my energy or my daughter, who's a manifesting generator, because we're just like up and so energetic <laughs> and he's a non-energy being. So he can be, we call him, our last name's Holgeen, but we call him Hedlean Holgeen because he's just kind of like <laughs> moody and walking through. And so I can be in the best mood. And we each have our own little, we have little tiny homes. He has a studio. I have a studio on our acre lot. And we go do our breathwork practice in yeah. the morning. And I can come in being so like just zen and yeah. whatever. And if he doesn't respond the yeah. way I want or is in a 
bad mood. Yeah, it just it throws me off. So yeah. I'm really learning though to to be responsible for my own moods, yeah. my own energy, and seeing what instead of just like. We just, man, we deflect and we deflect, and that's what I'm really learning too. Is just like, oh, my daughter, when she gets angry, she's a mirror for me, and I'm afraid of my own anger, not hers. And so it's just a learning, and you can't learn about the people in your household or even about yourself if you are constantly distracted. I mean, I think if you can just minimize distractions, even if it's for an hour a day, a few minutes a day, it just, you start to actually spend time with yourself, which we don't do anymore. So I'm thinking through, you know, what you and I have, all the things you and I have talked about, and I'm thinking, well, what's the lesson here? And I'm thinking there's a few lessons. I'm thinking it's, well, first of all, bring some awareness. Get get out of your head, get into your body. Yes. Number one, get out of your head, get into your body. (laughs) Number two, what are the things that are distracting you from getting out of your head and into your body? And I think probably the biggest offender is the phone. Number one, like... And while these things sound so simple, it's I don't think many people are doing these things. Not consistently. Because I will tell you, there was a point in my own life, because um, I have three children, and so there was a point in my own life, I mean, I'm I'm limping through oh, it. Oh, my God. But there was a point where I'd hear people say, like, oh, I take a bath, or I do this, or yeah, I do that. Sure. And I'm like, who has time? Who has time? That? Right. But I've now gotten to a place in my own life where I go, I don't have time not to. Exactly. Which is, which is, I can't afford not to do these things for myself because guess what? If I don't, I'm in a bad place. Well, so are yes. we all like limping along yes. as we're, not the parent we want to be because we're not our full selves? And we're mindless. We go through our days mindless. We mindlessly scroll. We mindlessly get from point A to point D and B instead of being mindful and and asking your, yourself what, just stopping before you pick up that phone, before you scroll, before you get lost in this sea, like what what do I actually need? It's really, it really is that simple, but doing it consistently, not trying it one time and then, because we will do anything to revert back to our comfort zone yeah. and, and nothing good comes from the comfort zone. I mean, that's the thing is like, if you want real change and evolution, it's hard. It, you yeah. have to get uncomfortable but it's but it all leads to a better place. Yeah. And yeah. that's what we're here to do. Yes. That's what, yes, what Amstigator's all about. Yes. It's the positive change that gets people to a different place, the place they want to be. Yes. Bria, thank you for being here. <gasps> thank you for having me. This was so fantastic. I have to tell you, I started doing some of the things that Ria reminded me about with my phone, for example. And I noticed a big difference. When I get home from work, it is later and my kids only get about an hour and a half with me before they go to bed. So I do make a conscious, conscious effort to leave my phone in the kitchen, take off my Apple Watch so I don't get notifications or texts or anything. And then I'm really with them and focused on them the whole time. It's also important to me that I decompress, but even more so that they know they get my complete attention when we're together because I just feel this so, so deeply. They deserve quality time with me. They deserve to feel my love and attention. And another thing I really love about Rhea is seeing her so unapologetically in her authenticity gives me major permission to embrace mine. I mean, everything about her is unconventional and I just love it. Plus, I love that through her work as a writer and with her Right Way company, she is really helping mainly women live out their purpose through a book. I mean, it's just incredible. So I encourage you, think about what you learned today. Where are you trying to prove yourself that you don't need to? And where do you need to set some major boundaries for yourself? 
How much time are you spending staring at your phone when you could be resting or noticing or creating or meditating? Just try it for three days. See what changes for you. I'm so glad you joined me for another encouraging episode of Amstigator. Uh, In the next few weeks, I've got some great episodes coming up with some more dear friends. Uh, I'll be so excited to share those with you. But for next week, I am going to be back with a solo episode to inspire and make you think deeply about your life and how you're living, how deeply you're connecting with purpose, and how we can deepen that even more in our day-to-day. And for now, I encourage you, shine your light lead with your heart, and live life purposefully. I'm Lauren Lowry, and this is Amstigator.